0: Listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. We are back. Episode two, the Mini Market Podcast. I'm Dalton here with Lucas, Isaiah, Connor. What's up, boys? How are we doing? Doing good, Dalt. Doing good. Happy to be back. Yeah, let's run it. Episode two. Here we go. So, what? Since last episode, the bike season's ended. We're going to get into that today. Little season recap and, uh, a look ahead, try to forget the season that was. Uh, what else is new? Anything Anything in the rest of the Minnesota sports world?
1: Well, I got a couple things here for the Wild. Anybody who's listening to this that follows the Wild probably has seen that uh, Spurgeon is the new captain. For a little bit more on that, Dalt wrote a nice piece on the Tell'em Sports website about the transition and uh, kind of the refreshing new, uh, new presence of a, of a different captain on the team. The Wild also started training camp this week, which I think we talked last week a little bit about the over-under for goals for Kaprasov. And uh, if you've watched any of the clips coming out of there and you and you bet the over, you got to be feeling pretty good right about now. Cause he's had some filthy goals. It was funny this morning on Twitter. I saw the wild backup goalie, Capo, like Kapanen I think is his name, kind of a tricky Russian name there, but uh, he tweeted out something that was funny. Like he, he got, Walked by uh, Kaprasov. And he tweeted, Yeah, my goal coming into training camp was I just kind of wanted to make the highlight reel. And he goes, Mission accomplished. And it's just him getting undressed by <laughs> Kaprasov on his, his goal <laughs> in the first scrimmage. And so I was like, Oh, that guy's hilarious. Love that.
2: Yeah, I saw that goal and instantly knew that over is hitting. And I feel, <laughs> I feel amazing. You're
1: like vindicated, vindicated. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is uh, t- this morning, Uh, There was some information coming out about uh, Marco Rossi, the first round pick this year, the, the Minnesota wild. He's been quarantining. He came over from the world juniors, which he played for his home country of Austria and came over and had to quarantine. I think the NHL makes you get four negative tests within like 10 days. And that's how you can like start being, going to the facility. And they found out today that he has like a, upper body injury because the NHL is so crafty that they don't specify they only say upper and lower body injury and so he's out indefinitely which is not ideal because I know the team really wanted him to go through the the training camp and and kind of assess where he's at to see if he would be a fit for like you know opening day type of thing or if he's going to be heading back to play in Zurich this season so kind of some good news for the wild, some bad news, um, but we'll see. Hopefully it's not like too long-term of an injury, but right now that he's, he's out indefinitely. So that's kind of a bummer, but
2: if, if he were healthy, do you think he would have been on the opening day roster or do you think that was kind of wishful thinking that he would participate right away?
1: Yeah. Personally, I think it was, it was kind of wishful thinking. I just think he, first of all, he's small, like he's, I should say short, like he's jacked. He's put out some, um, some workout videos and the guy deadlifts like 500 pounds. Like he's really strong. And that's one thing they're super excited about him. But I think the transition from like, I can't remember. He played for the Ottawa 67s, which I'm not sure what league they're in, like the BCHL or something. And so like, that's a really good juniors league, but like, that's a huge step to go from juniors to the NHL. So I think they were going to send him over to play in Zurich, which is the team that owns him over in Europe and have him play at least a few games. But I think they wanted to see how he fit. And I think the wild were trying to stay open-minded with the possibility that if he just like goes off in training camp, he might, but I would put the percentage at like under 15% that he was going to be with the wild at the beginning of the season. So
0: the NHL is really interesting in between of like the NFL and MLB where NFL, you draft a rookie, you expect him to be like an impact player from day one. And the MLB, you'll draft a guy you might not hear about him for five, six years. It seems like the NHL, the really top end guys will come in and be studs, like year one, you know, like the Connor McDavid's, those guys. And then there's some others who, you know, they'll draft them out of high school and it might be five or six years. So I never really know what those sort of middle picks like Rossi, what was he, ninth what to really expect of those guys, because there have been instances in the past of wild rookies who've come in and played well, but then there are other first rounders who we just don't hear about for years.
1: Yeah. And like the first pick in this year's draft, Alex Lapierre, I think is his name. He's like one of those guys who there's no question, he's probably going to be a top liner um, and he's going to start right away. So there's definitely guys like that. But I think in, to your point, in the NHL, there's less guys like the NFL, but there's more guys than the MLB. I should say NFL and NBA, because those are both like impact starters right away. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Ike, how about your pups? Speaking of the NBA,
2: having a rough little run here. That was a magnificent transition, Connor. So kudos to you. Um, I wish the Wolves were playing that well. Um, So we know they went 2-0 to start the season. Uh, Spirits were super high. And then Cat got hurt and uh, the wheels completely fell off. They've lost seven in a row really what's hurting them is the defense. And it's, it's funny that it's the defense because it, it was the thing that everybody talked about going into the season. It was like the Wolves have a bad defense and it was kind of this joke of like, well, we can win some games, but we're going to have to win them 140 to 135. And it was kind of like something brushed off, but like we're starting to see that that's not as much of a joke. It's actually real. They're giving up in the last seven games, 127, 124, 130, 124, 123, 135, and 125. Like, the offense or the defense is a total sieve. They're not doing anything to disrupt any game plan that the opposing teams are bringing in. And it's tough because
0: Okoge's been hurt, too, and he's obviously their premier defensive player. And then with Cat Hurt, they've been sliding Culver down to the four where he's sort of guarding out of position. So Okogi out, Culver out of position. Those are their top two defenders. So it's really disrupted the way that they, you know, any defense they can play with their roster that's already a poor defensive team. Yeah.
2: It it has not been pretty, and it was good to have Cat back last night. He looked good. Uh, Edwards is scoring the ball fairly well. So, there. I mean, there are some bright spots, but until they figure out how to play some better team defense, there's really not much hope for this season.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a lot of time to get into the Wild and the Wolves uh, over the course of this winter, so I guess we'll we'll table that for now and move on to the Vikes, who had a really up and down season, very down to start and then made a nice little run in the middle of the season and gave us just enough hope to think that they might be able to make a playoff push with the expanded playoffs and then broke our hearts once again. So the season ended. What do we What do we think about the season and what do we think going forward? Lou, you're our resident Vikes correspondent. What do you have to say?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to dive into, right? Um, Obviously the defense was just horrific this year. It was really, really bad all around. We had, you know, top name guys pretty much at every single position out for a majority of the season. Um, You know, we had injuries coming out everywhere. We had, uh, we had opt out. We had Michael Pierce opt out. And I know we touched on it last week, but again, our own head coach Mike Zimmer comes out and says this is the worst defense I've ever had so that's just really nowhere to go but up I'm hoping and then kind of some similar things on offense we've saw I guess we saw a lot of up and downs the offense seemed to almost go dormant at times especially when Dalvin Cook was not in the lineup the first half of the season we saw some pretty bad stretches from Kirk Cousins in terms of turnovers and and just not making great plays he did come out and just say yeah I'm just need to play better and cut down on the turnovers in the second half. He was much, much better. So that's, that is a positive. um, Just looking at it that way. But the thing that that kind of strikes me the most is when we get down in games, our offense really is not built to come back. There's only really only one team that I've noticed that can do that where they just kind of run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, no matter what the score is. And that's the Titans. Um, with Derrick Henry uh, but it seems like whenever they do need a really big play Ryan Tannehill is able to make that play so if teams are just obviously selling out to stop Dalvin Cook even late in games we we have the playmakers on the outside so really just looking to hopefully have the offense be able to take that shot and make that shot really when when we need it to happen so there's obviously some things that need to be addressed on, on both sides of the ball, as well as special teams. We all know Dan Bailey was pretty bad this season. Uh We had a ton of special teams miscues kind of all over the field from the punt team, the kickoff, the kick return, extra points, field goals, just pretty much across the board. We could use a good once over.
0: Didn't they have a total of like two punt return yards all season? I think I saw a stat like that. Their net, their net punt return yards on the whole season were, I think, single oh digits. Oh my God. <laughs> which is, I don't know if that's a record, but I have to imagine that's close to the worst punt return season of all time.
2: Give me Marcus Sherrill's back. Get those long <laughs> sleeves out there running, making plays. Um, how many times is Kirk Cousins going to come out and be like, I need to be better? when he really doesn't have that much that he's b- b- being asked to do. I feel like his line of like, I need to be better in the second half of the season. Stop turning the ball over. We heard that. I want to say this every single year. He says that at some point, it's like, how many times are you allowed to say that?
3: Well, I mean, he's got two years left on this contract. So hopefully we'll only
1: hear it two more times. I think at the end of the day though, uh, a lot of that is just him taking blame, which is like, that's what you want in a leader. He's at the end of the day, I think he's taking blame for the defense being horrific. I think you could go through the scores this season and see on par our offense is scoring with the rest of the league. It's really the defense that sucks. But instead of him saying our defense sucks and it's not my fault, like I'm getting paid a lot. I know that people expect a lot for me and look at my stats the second half of the year and the year in a cumulative status. He had a really good year offensively from a quarterback standpoint. So I think he's just taking ownership of the defense sucking and the team being bad this year. So I don't really, I don't really blame him for for coming out and saying, I got to be better because as a player, that's all you can do. Unless you're going to start pointing fingers at other people. Cause what's his alternative when people are like, why aren't you producing being like, dude, I'm rocking, I'm killing it. Are you blind or are you stupid? Because I'm murdering. Like that's, that's kind of my take on it. I think he's, he's just trying to take ownership for the whole team. So. I mean,
2: I don't think he really has the opportunity to say that. Like he cuz he's never killing it. Like he has a few games here and there when he puts up like decent numbers and then the rest of the time he's putting up junk numbers when the games either won or lost and then we usually lost this year. And then at the end of the season you can round out and be like, "Well, it wasn't his fault, you know, he had good stats." But were they impactful stats? Were they meaningful stats? Did he did he make winning plays? And I feel like when you watch games, every week if you come down to this point where it's like, okay, yeah, the defense has let you down a little bit, but you also have an offense. And it's, we're spending a good amount of money on our offense, a good amount of money on our quarterback. Can they pick up the slack a little bit sometimes when, when it's time to win a game? And that's where I think it's like, I need to be better comes from Kirk.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I think at the end of the day, like the, the numbers kind of tell the story and like, he's top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in touchdowns and when you're when you're producing on offense and your defense sucks like you're constantly being forced into more challenging situations so I I still would say that it's the defense's issue and like you can see that in the defensive stats they're they're like bottom 10 in pretty much every category so I mean you can only do so much and like if you throw one interception, it's like a, it's like the classic story of any team with bad defense. Like if you make one mistake, then your whole game is screwed because now you're down two scores. So now we have to change how we play offense because ideally we're like, if you get the ball for, first, we go down, put together a decent drive, and Delvin's running, we're pounding the rock because that's what Zimmer wants to do regardless of if that's the best thing for the team. Right now it seems like it is. But if we just decided to go gunslinging, who knows, maybe Kirk would go off. I don't think everybody thinks that would happen. I think we can all agree, like, he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. Like, he just – it's not in there. He's going to be a good quarterback that he throws with accuracy. He, I think he can make big plays when you need to. But he's not going to make – he's not going to be Tom Brady. He's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. And I, I don't think you expect that of him. But I think that it really comes down to the defense just putting so much pressure on the offense that one mistake causes the whole game to go pear-shaped. And and good teams don't have to worry about that as much. Like that, honestly, that's what Aaron Rodgers had been going through, like some of the last few years with um, with the defense they had. Now their defense is good, and now you can just go out there and ball out. So I still think most of it falls onto the defense. I mean, it
3: is really tough. I will say when you know we say we have two possessions on offense, and we you know, we have put together some sort of drive and maybe get three points, but then we turn around and our defense gives up two touchdowns. I mean, it's it's pretty tough to play from behind. Like, we, like you were saying, I mentioned it earlier too, when, especially late in games, when we're just, the main thing Zimmer wants to do is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Um, and I think part of that is honestly because his defense is so bad. So he's just trying to take, keep them off the field for as long as possible.
2: Okay, so how much of that, do you have to say is Zimmer's fault then if you, if you're like, if you know your defense is good and you have a game plan where you want to run the ball, or I'm sorry, you know, your defense is really bad, right. And you want to run the ball and it's your strength. But if you, if you get down, you, you have to let your quarterback go a little bit, right. It's, it's something similar that's happened to like the Baltimore Ravens, if you think about, and they're a much better version of the Vikings, but they, they struggle to come back too because there's such a run heavy offense but if you think that Kirk Cousins is a better passer than Lamar Jackson, like don't you have to at some point let him go a little bit earlier in games? And I and I think they don't for the same reason that they want to run the ball to protect the defense. They want to run the ball to protect Kirk Cousins. Because you've seen when he needs to make a good play, like a key play, like he holds the ball too long. He's prone to fumbling, which is really bad for a defense that's struggling. He He doesn't make like those like quick decisions where it's like, his first option wasn't there. Can he extend a play to make the second option work or the third option work? I mean, for me, the quintessential Kirk cousins play was the Falcons game. Like the first play of the game, he just throws like the, one of the ugliest picks I've ever seen, like directly to to a linebacker. And then, yeah. And then it's like, okay, now we're behind the sticks and it's, it's the offense's fault this time, but then it looks like it's the defense's fault because they gave up all the points, but it was really actually an awful play to start the game. And, I don't know. There's a lot of things that they probably need to work on this offseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you can kind of do the whole, I mean, maybe it's, I think it's almost like the chicken and the egg thing where it's like, he holds the ball too long, but that's because we're forcing him to make a big play and the offensive line can't protect him. Or like, you know, I think he was top five in the league this year and getting sacked. Now, does that have to do with him holding the ball too long, which he definitely does at times? Or is that just our offensive line stinks? probably a little bit of both. I think we could pretty much all agree on that. I mean, we haven't had a good offensive line since we had old 400-pound Phil Lodeholt on one side and Brian the Mountain McKinney on the other. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I definitely think there's things he needs to work on. Um, but I think him by him saying that comment, I'm sure we'll get it the next two years unless we, you know, go to a Super Bowl or something. But I, I just kind of think he's trying to protect the defense. And I think overall he's playing pretty well. And at the end of the day, you. this is kind of where we at, which for some people, that's great. For some people, it sucks. Um, kind of on that topic a little bit, what do you guys think of, there was like that uh, make-believe trade online that was Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins and a first-rounder trade. What do you think of that? Do you think that's just uh, people out of touch with the Minnesota markets saying things like to get people going? Or do you think that's a realistic thing that could happen? Because I think, even as a Kirk Cousins guy, I mean, Deshaun Watson is the future of the NFL. He's mobile. He can help. He can save a crappy offensive line by being mobile and getting out of the pocket. And I think he can throw, he can run. I mean, he's, he's an elite quarterback in my opinion.
3: Yeah. I, he is, he's obviously a very good player. He's like you said, he's probably a very elite player, but he's going to be really expensive and we don't have a ton of, Cap space right now, we'd have to probably give up a lot to get him. Obviously, he's not happy in Houston right now, but he's still on contract and he's got that. He's got to approve the the trade clause. I think he's got the no trade clause in there. So yeah, it would be awesome. I'd be all for bringing him in, but it would take a lot to to bring him in.
0: Yeah, I think it would take more than a first round pick and Kirk Cousins. Um, if they're going to be dealing Deshaun Watson, Houston's going to be going into full on rebuild and. 14th overall pick and a middle-of-the-road quarterback is not the return they're going to want to get. I think they're going to want multiple firsts, potentially a recent pick from one of our previous drafts, a guy like maybe Irv Smith or a cornerback. Um, It's going to be a lot more than Kirk and a, a first. So I agree that Deshaun Watson could potentially be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but a trade to bring him in might decimate our other assets to the point where the team gets worse overall, even though the quarterback position would be a significant improvement.
1: Do you think that with the rebuild, like the Vikings have 10 draft picks this year? Do you think, I think we have four or three fourth rounders or something. Do you think we could go Kirk first, two fourths? Like, is that enough where they're like, we're getting tons of draft capital? And like, in my opinion, if we give up that, that's fine. Like if we're giving up draft capital to win right now, like and and it is like typically later round picks like I don't think you can give first second this year and first next year or something crazy like that because that is our future but the other point is that the quarterbacks I mean obviously no question the most important position on the field and so if you can get the right guy in there and then start to build around them but I guess that's probably what Houston's been trying to do and has it been working no so
0: I don't think late round picks are going to do it. That's trading away a dollar bill and getting back five nickels in return. It's just not a, not a deal that any competent general manager would make. If Bill O'Brien was still in office in Houston, <laughs> I would say we've got a chance, but they moved on from him. So I think a Deshaun trades probably not going to happen in Minnesota. Daylight
1: dollar short on that one. Yeah. I was just going to say, before we move on,
3: I have one kind of uh question for you guys regarding the vikings we talking we're talking a little bit about kirk holding the ball which is more maddening to you guys kirk say big third down situation kirk holds the ball and gets sacked or flashback to the last five or six years huge third down defense needs to stop ever since griffin jumps off sides on third and four
0: I think ever since ever, I just because <laughs> it's every time,
3: right? Every time, anytime there's a huge one when you just you know they're in the huddle just saying, "Do not jump off sides," you know he's jumping off sides every time.
0: Well, because that's unforced too. Like Kirk getting sacked, that's you know, thing. he might have got there. Might be someone who got beat blindside or something. Or yeah, he maybe held the ball too long. But ever since jumping off sides, it's not that hard. <laughs> just stay on sides. It's, uh, I'm shocked yeah. by the
3: end of it. Like they didn't just take him off the field on like if it's third and six, great, get out there. If, but third yeah, he's and just four,
1: too he's just too good. That's the thing. Like it's like in high school when. There's like that kid on your team where you like, you don't really like him, but he's also like the best player on the team. So you're like, all right, I guess we got to like be friends with them and let him be on our team so we can be good. That's like Everson. Like he's just so explosive that you ha- you like have to take the good with the bad. Cause he might get, you know, in a season, he might get 12 offside penalties in those situations and he might get 12 sacks. And it's right. like, you just take the good with the bad and hope it works out for you. And, That's the hard part because you can't take him. You're paying him way too much money to be like, all right, third down situation. Come over to the sidelines, pal. Let's put in that fifth round pick we got this year. So, but it is just infuriating because it's so, yeah, it's like you said, Dalton, it's just unforced. It's so easy to just for a fan to be like, just watch the ball, dude. We were all told this since like Kiwi football, just watch the football. Don't listen to the sound.
2: You don't get elite breaks off the ball by watching the ball. You got to use all your senses. Uh, I think it's. I think there's a possibility we. This might not be a thing of the past. Did you guys see his tweet uh, that he had, uh, towards the end of the season? It was uh, him shaking hands with Zimmer, and it was like wish it into existence or something like that. So, I don't know. We might have Evathan oh, back God. on the team.
0: I also saw a tweet from Everson saying Kirk Cousins is ass. So I, <laughs> Yeah, like, might be a good time uh, to
1: check in on uh, Everson's Twitter because I have the last couple of days and he is just an emotional roller coaster, which he has a history of in like a more serious sense. But uh, yeah, he's had some crazy stuff going on this week. He re- then recently, I think, deleted that tweet about Kirk Cousins being ass and then apologized with another tweet. But, yeah, he wants back in Minnesota in the worst way. He's tweeted, like, 12 times about it. And the best thing that a pro athlete can do, this is sarcasm, is to start replying to comments on Twitter of fans because that always goes well because fans are so rational. Yep. So they're just, like, they've been talking trash to Everson on Twitter, and he's been responding, which is just the worst-case scenario for him.
3: Hey, Everson Griffin, if you are listening – We'd love to have you on the show to talk about it more. So reach out to us at tellumsports.com.
2: I, I got a write-in vote, actually, for most infuriating um, play on a Viking Vikings play. And, Lou, I think you'll be with me on this one because you always call it out. I might know it's it. It's the third and seven. Oh. Need a big first down. Chad Beebe runs a five-yard route Jeez. and gets tackled, and we punt on fourth and two. That, I think, is the most frustrating Vikings play or the – it, the comeback or they them. throw
3: it two yeah. yards. They just throw the little, yeah, out to the flat. Let's yep, we need this huge first down in the game. Let's not even
1: call a play that gets everyone to the sticks. I just don't understand it. That's what I thought you were gonna say, Lou. I thought you were going with the the check down where you don't run it to the sticks, and Lou pops out of the lazy boy and he's yelling <laughs> at the TV like like some 55-year-old fan back in 61 when the Vikings were yeah, 65. <sighs> But yeah, I, that is frustrating. But one thing I will say is like the way the NFL is get playmakers in space. So the dump down sometimes works out and I e pretty much every pass Elvin Kamara catches is like a three yard throw. And then like a 50 yard run. Like I remember the first game of the season, the, uh, I think somebody tweeted out and it was like a ch- Drew Brees checkdown to Elvin Kamara that went for 70 yards. And somebody was like, people are saying Drew Brees is losing his arm, but that was a 70 <laughs> yard touchdown pass. So <laughs> sometimes Let's not those check-downs, Chad yeah, Beebe I was and just going to say,
3: Chad Beebe's no Alvin
1: Kamara. <laughs> well, yeah, but Isaiah said the five yard route for Chad Beebe, and then you said, or the checkdown. And True, the checkdown yeah. can work when you got Dalvin Cook coming or
2: Alexander, I was gonna say, I'm not mad when it's Delvin who's getting the ball. It's I'm mad when it's Chad Beebe who's getting the ball and he has two guys all over him and he makes a nice catch, but there's nowhere for him to go. I think Adam Thielen does it a lot too. Like, he is a major culprit of not understanding where that yellow line is. Like, it's obvious to see that yellow line, we can all see it just get there.
1: <laughs> that is a good point. Like, it's so easy for fans to be like, Why did you not run to the sticks? and like, I And maybe we're giving them too much credit because they probably practice running like number of number yard routes. So like in their head, if you know, it's like third and seven, you maybe know you have to take like eight steps to get there or something. But like, it's so easy for us to be like lines right there. Damn it. Like, why are you not running to the line? But what do you do? You know, I I still think it's the Everson jumping off
2: sides. Yeah, that one's a backbreaker. Um, okay. So I got, I got to circle back on Kirk cousins just cause I, I just like to talk about him. I think everybody does. Um, so he had, you know, he had 35 touchdowns and over 400 or 4,000 yards passing. He had 25 of those touchdowns when we were behind and 2,700 of those yards. Um, when we were behind, is that just a product of like, when you're losing, you got to let the guy throw a little bit, or is it that he only steps up when you know, we're behind it? And- I think
1: the majority of that is just play calling. When we are up, we run the ball no matter what almost. So like when we're up, he's not going to get accumulate stats. And in a season where we would go nine and seven, we have more opportunities to be down by points, so more times for him to throw. And when the game's tied, we're going to run the ball way more than we throw the ball. So I think it's just a, it's a system thing, a lot of that. And there is a certain point where I think he had, I'll say, 13 interceptions this season, which was top five in the league in interceptions. So, I mean, some of that is, like you said, him just finding a wide open linebacker, hitting him right between the numbers and then taking it the other way. But sometimes it's being in those situations where we're down, down a touchdown and they know we're throwing, we know we're throwing. So inevitably they got seven DBs on the field or whatever. Um, So I think a little bit of both, but I think our offense doesn't set him up to be like a 5,000 yard passer by any means, unless we're having a horrible season, which. I would take a 3,000 yard passing season and a playoff berth than over, you know, over Kirk having awesome numbers for sure, just like any fan would. Like, we want the team to succeed. So
2: then you got to get a new quarterback. If you're a team strapped for cap space and you're not expecting your quarterback to put up good numbers, if you just want a game manager, you can get a much, much cheaper game manager than Kirk Cousins.
1: Well, yeah. And I'm not saying I want a game manager. I'm saying I think Kirk is the guy, but it's not you know, it's not the system that's going to be built for him. The system's built around running the ball. And I think that it needs to transition to passing, but I also think you look at the same way where we invest all this money in Dalvin cook. So to not use him is also foolish, but we're not going to win with a guy who's lesser than, than Kirk cousins, which is the only way we're going to save money. So if we're going to go get rid of him and find a guy who's cheaper and not as good, I mean, we're, we're worse off than we are right now, in my opinion.
2: Could you siphon some of that money to fill in some of the gaps that you have in other places? The things that you say that, oh, it, it's not his fault because his offensive line sucks. It's not his fault because the defense sucks, and you, he's taking a huge cap hit off the team. Like, if you pay a guy less, can you f- have a much better overall team? Or is it not enough money to make a difference?
1: I don't think it's enough money to make a difference. Like, I mean, that's the thing. What are we going to do? Unless let's say we draft a quarterback, we get rid of Kirk. And then now we have Kirk's almost his entire salary. Okay. That's different. Then there's a lot to do. But if that quarterback turns into, I mean, Carson Wentz, we're, we're not going to win. You can't win without a top 15 quarterback. You mean
2: MVP candidate Carson Wentz pre-injury? I'm just saying that guy was a stud. People forget. History gets uh, brushed over really fast when things don't go well.
1: He stole that Super Bowl ring, and, and don't you ever forget it. That's Nick Foles' ring.
2: But that, to me, that's a good example of like what happens when you have a really good team. You don't actually need a really good quarterback. Like I don't know if Carson Wentz is necessarily a lot worse now than he was then. I think they just had a much better team. And then you see the same thing for Nick Foles. Like he's not a good quarterback. He has never been a good quarterback. He played well for like four games on a really good team that was playing really well. So like, do you need to build around the quarterback?
1: I would argue the Eagles are the anomaly. Like you need to build around the quarterback. The Eagles are the only team that I can think of in the last handful of years that have won the Super Bowl with a quarterback that is not like considered elite. Like, I mean the the hardest thing ever is like comparing to the Patriots because Tom Brady was just like doing throwing them a bone by not taking big salary forever, and so they could build really good defenses. And like we saw that pretty much every year they won the Super Bowl, they had a stellar defense. But I mean like. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers. Like those are a lot of the Super Bowl, previous Super Bowl champions, Drew Brees. So it's like, I mean, that's the recipe, right? Other than Nick Foles, one year, the recipe is to win the Super Bowl with top end guys. And maybe I'm missing something there. Maybe there's more, more Super Bowl champs than I'm, I'm thinking of. But I think it, the recipe is pretty clear. The blueprint's pretty obvious. It's You got to get top
0: quarterback. You have to have a good defense. I think that's a good time to transition from looking at our players to the coaching situation. I know we have some differing takes on on Coach Zimmer and whether he should stick around. It seems like, you know, anytime they're in a losing streak, it's fire Zimmer. And then I saw an article mid-season when the Vikes were 6-6 six and six that said Zimmer should be getting coach of the year hype because of all he's doing with an injured defense. So, you know, fans are all over the spectrum and it's really a what have you done for me lately thing when you're a head coach. But what do you guys think as far as keeping Zam, getting rid of him?
3: Obviously, something needs to be done with the defense. And I think Zimmer is the guy to be able to fix it. Granted, yes, we've talked about all the injuries that have happened. But I do really think that Zimmer gets his guys to play for him really well. And a lot of these guys have been around and know his defense. So I think bringing, something, like bringing in a new guy to, to just run that defense would stall it for a few years. It might work out, but I think... His system works for for the guys we have. They've built this defense around his system. So I think he really needs to stay on if we want to make that defense better. Obviously, he's he's been pretty open about not, not being super involved in the offense other than just playing, you know, big boy football where he just wants to be tough and run the ball. So I guess coming from a strictly defensive perspective, I think that is the biggest issue right now. And I think Zimmer is, like I said, Zimmer is the guy to fix
2: it. I agree that the defense is rough, but like at this point, you just, they just went through a rebuilding year without claiming it was a rebuilding year on the defense. Their entire secondary in terms of corners are essentially brand new and have not learned his schemes yet. And they're apparently so complex and so challenging to learn that it takes a long time. So if you're looking for a time to transition, I think it's right now when you have a lot of guys on defense who don't know his system. So might as well learn a different new system.
1: I think like, honestly, the exact opposite, but for the same reason is I think all these players who are, a lot of them will be backups next year. We'll all know the system. Like, cause I think a lot of people have said it takes a year in Zimmer system to really understand how it works and why it's so successful. And so when we have all these players coming back from injury next year, namely like Daniil Hunter, I mean, Michael, is it Michael Pierce, the D tackle mm-hmm. who opted out um, Kendricks bar, like when and bars are probably a different conversation because I'm not super high on him, but the, Vi- the Vikings defense with the corners being in the system for a year, and I think there's actually some good young corners Agreed. in the group. Like I think Dantzler was uh, an all-rookie team guy. Um, Mike Hughes may never play a full season in the NFL, which is kind of a bummer, but who knows, hopefully. So I think having those guys get that year, and you kind of said it, it was basically like a rebuilding year where we got all these young guys or all these backups, a lot of experience to see who's good. Like I think I don't know the contract situation but I think Eric Wilson is like a really yeah. good outside linebacker and I think he would be awesome to have either in bar spot or opposite of bar and I think the corners are good I think the free the the safety could be an issue cuz we're paying them a ton of money so it's like do we want to pay them but I think next year will the defense will improve a lot just from the experience they gain this year um, will it be enough I don't know that's it's pretty hard to say so
0: Quickly on Wilson he's a free agent After the season, so if they want to bring him back, they're going to need to re-sign him.
1: That could be an issue then.
0: My take on Zimmer. So I think that teams should make more coaching changes than they do, and I've been anti-Zimmer for most of this season. But when you make a coaching change, you want to get one of the premier candidates on the coaching market. And this offseason for the Vikings, it would be one of the worst offseasons to make a change because when you look at who they're competing against, they're competing against Jacksonville, who has the number one pick, can get Trevor Lawrence, has insane amounts of cap space going into next season. So whoever takes over there can essentially do what they want with that franchise. You have um, the L.A. Chargers with Justin Herbert, nice young quarterback there. You have the Jets, say what you want. Um, They have a high pick, so, you know, a coach and come in and sort of um, shape that franchise. And then there's the Vikes who are already over the salary cap for next season. They have a ton of money locked up in a quarterback who people are not sold on. The defense is aging. I mean, the Vikes are in a prime spot to rebuild where they could potentially deal some guys. But as a coach, I don't see how you look at Minnesota and say, that's the spot I want to go where you have no flexibility to bring in your own guys. You have a bunch of old guys on defense and you have a quarterback who's not elite. And like Connor, you said, to win a Super Bowl, you need elite quarterback play. So to change now, you're going to get a bottom of the barrel guy who might not be ready. And maybe that works out. You know, you just find a wild card coach and he comes in and wins coach of the year. But I don't know. I think you you run it back one more time. You hope the defense works out. And if it doesn't, then you make a change next offseason.
1: Does anybody know offhand like what the Kirk Cousins contract looks like going forward? Like do we have him for two more years or three more years?
3: We've got him um, through 2022 and I think it's like as of June 1st his contract is his money's guaranteed so if, unless we caught him or something before June 1st uh, he's we're paying him the
1: rest of the money for the extension. Cause that's one thing to think about. Like um, I wrote a piece about keeping Zimmer this week. That's on the town page. But one of the things that I mentioned is what Dalt said, where like rebuilds are, are tough, but like, this is a tough spot to rebuild for a coach. Like you come in with no flexibility. And so I'd echo those comments, but also I think if you get a new coach, you, you almost have to like blow it up. Like, like you, you should get rid of Kirk unless this guy's a huge Kirk guy and just try to build for the future, you know, move the big pieces to get more draft capital. Cause when a new coach comes in to try to like incorporate the old with the new, and then like how to transition, like how much time does the GM and the front office give him to rebuild? Cause I think if a new coach comes in right now, it's, it's a five-year rebuild. Like you got to move in a lot of new pieces because if, if if Zimmer is the issue, maybe not. But I, I think that they're looking at the team as a whole as the issue. And so it's going to take a little bit more than just letting Zim go. So I think they're going to have to like
2: blow it up. Question for you on that. We're going to be looking at probably the sixth offensive coordinator that we've had under Zimmer. Do you think there's any correlation between that? Like, I know there's been a couple of retirements. It hurts that Stefanski is doing so well because, Lou, I think you talked about teams that run the ball and and the Browns are a team that runs the ball effectively. Um, And Stefanski has done a really good job there. So that one kind of hurts to see him doing so well somewhere else. But it seems like the offense has to do this semi rebuild every year too, where they have to relearn a new play, a a new playbook, new schemes. Um, So I feel like, I don't know if you're, if you're ready, if you're going to have to do that again, and you probably will do it again in one to two years, maybe you get a, Head coach who's more offensive minded to kind of fit more with the schemes of the NFL in general. Yeah, I mean, that feels like the way
1: of the NFL too, but offense is the way of the NFL. So, I and mean, that's a good point, I think.
3: I was going to say, yeah, exactly that. Um, if we do, or if we are going to make a change, I think we go complete 180 because obviously Zimmer has built. Over the past few seasons, this really strong defense—that's what he wanted to preach. He wanted to run the ball, not take too many risks on offense. And with that um, 2017 team, that's pretty much what that team was. That defense was really great. We got to the NFC Championship game. We made some plays on offense. Um, but now you see all these teams that are winning now, like the the Rams. A couple of years ago, were a great great example. Obviously, the the Chiefs last year—they're just these high-powered offenses. With great offensive coaching, that obviously they all have. They have Jared Goff and and, and Patrick Mahomes, so they're again going kind of back to the elite quarterback play. No, Jared
2: Goff's not elite. I'm not going <laughs> to say that. That
3: season he was pretty good. That season it, he was pretty good. Getting paid like he's elite. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think if we do, if we are going to make a change, I think we need to go complete 180 and have the the head uh, the head guy be very offensive minded uh, rather than defensive minded.
1: I think, Ike, you brought up a really good point because trying to think of it, I I don't know if Zimmer has had offensive coordinators for more than one season. Like we had Norv Turner, Pat Shermer. Why am I blanking on the Browns coach? Stefanski. And then I think Kubiak was...
3: He was like a consultant
1: for a year and then... A consultant for a year. And then then maybe he was the coordinator the last two years. But like, I think that actually is probably a good call out like it would that help getting consistency? Also a point is do other teams, are they just losing offensive coordinators like crazy like us? Or, I mean, do we need to stop hiring guys that are like already on AARP? So they're like pretty (laughs) comfortable with just retiring whenever, because that's the whole Norv and Kubiak situation is like Zimmer just doesn't want to be the oldest coach on the staff apparently. So he hires an OC who's older than he is, but maybe that's part of it. Maybe we need to gets more consistency on the offensive side of the ball and play calling.
2: And I think that's in defense of Kirk cousins of like, I think he's struggled a lot with this idea of this off. This whole team is built for the defense and around the defense and the entire offensive strategy is built to help the defense be better. And I think that, I mean, when you're watching the rest of the league, like try to light it up as much as they can and you're not allowed to. And I think that hurts for the quarterback. I think it hurt for Diggs. I think that's a big reason that he wanted to leave. Um, I think it's Agreed. it's it's a bummer for Thielen. It's been a bummer for Jefferson early in the season. I mean, he got his late, but and then I think it impacts these offensive coordinators where it's like they're so restricted of the things that they think they can do with their offense because it has to be catered to protecting the defense. I think there's something to that. And I think that might be a reason why a guy who's a little bit older, who's an offensive coordinator, who's like well, well respected in the league decides after a year, like, oh, I don't really I'd rather retire continue to deal with this.
1: Yeah, so maybe it's it's just uh you just go to the corporation idea of like it's just a tone at the top. People are not loving the the uh the Zimmer regime, which I mean if that's the point if that's the case, that would be a huge reason. Like I would think I would change my opinion on that. Like I think if if you can't work for a certain coach and nobody's come out and said said that, but maybe that's just not a thing you do in the NFL. Um but if that's the case, that would change my opinion and I would say you got to move forward because you need consistency on the, on, especially in offense, I guess on both sides of the ball, but, but consistency helps when you get comfortable in the system and it starts to become like second nature. I mean, that's, that's the whole goal of everything in sports is just making it muscle memory, making it just easy to do. You just react. So yeah, that's a great point.
0: All right, I think that's a good spot to leave it for this week. We're going to have a lot of time as the offseason unfolds to talk about specific team needs and rookie targets in the upcoming draft. But thanks for tuning in. Next week we're going to get into the winter sports, so we're going to talk wild, we're going to talk wolves. Can't wait for that one. So don't forget to subscribe to the Minimarket Pod. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check us out at tellumsports.com or on Twitter, at TellumSports. Peace.
2: I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.